This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including e-books and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Scholarly Communication, the podcast about how knowledge gets known. I'm Daniel Shea, your host for episode 114 of the podcast. Today I'll be talking with Cormac Hurley, Principal Researcher at Microsoft Research. How is it that we know anything we claim to know? All right, there are easier questions out there to be asking, but the motto of this podcast is how knowledge gets known. And besides, one major research interest of my guest today most certainly warrants, at the very least, a look at this question of knowledge basis. So here goes. On what precisely do we base our knowledge claims? Or to simplify the question, how do we know? Well, let's just imagine a few scenarios here to ground this whole ethereal matter in something like real-world examples. Let us say that the thing I want to know is this. Have I locked the door behind me leaving for work? Right, that's one possible scenario, and I'll call it the locked-unlocked problem. Let me, keeping with the theme of my home, just add here quickly three further scenarios. One, when was this building I live in built? Which I'll call the when problem. Two, how was the building constructed? The how problem. And lastly, three, Why was the building constructed in just this way? The why problem. Okay, so four problems about the lock, about the date of construction, about the manner of construction, and lastly, about the reason for that manner of construction. Now, it is my argument that solving any one of these problems is the path to knowledge about the matter in question. So let's just go through each of them in turn. The locked-unlocked problem is a simple one. And I can know the truth, really, just by walking back home and trying the door. Therefore, I know this because I've checked. I experienced the answer directly myself, and so my knowledge, too, is direct and acquired through me. For the when problem, the matter is a little more complicated, because this building I live in stood here already before I even moved to town. Therefore, direct experience by me alone isn't going to provide the answer. However, I can just read off the cornerstone, the year 1936, 
Or if I'm doubtful, I can go to the Municipal Records Office and read in the notarized documentation for the site, on the 3rd of August 1936, the building at such and such address was completed and transferred to the realtor for sale. So for the when problem, both the knowledge itself and my access to that knowledge are indirect. Nonetheless, an answer, and a pretty exact one at that, is forthcoming. In the when problem, we're still dealing with definite knowledge. The third problem I've posed, the problem of how, is more complicated still. Because although it may resemble in some ways the simpler when question, I mean, asking how is really going to entail asking such when-like questions as which type of concrete was poured, by which method was it poured, how long did it dry, and so on. So although there is this surface similarity between the when problem and the how problem, the real snag in the how problem is that the question being asked is like an amalgamation of simpler when questions. Therefore, the knowledge of how still is definite, but the coming to know all I'll need to know, well, that's just going to take a massive compiling of data, so that really, the how problem becomes a very long list of when-type problems, all contributing their separate individual parts to the ultimate solution. And so it is that, in the final analysis, there will certainly be something about the ultimate solution due to the amount of data involved which just won't be fully and satisfactorily clarified. Thus, knowledge of how is in some both indirect and indefinite knowledge. Some educated guessing will be necessary in the how problem. The why problem is, though, the most complicated of the four. In fact, the questions asked for this problem are truly impossible to answer, and that's because no level of completeness in the data collection can definitively explain why. And so in my example here of why the construction of my building proceeded as the construction actually did back then in the 1930s, so exactly why these materials were chosen, exactly why these materials were worked on in just the ways they were worked on, exactly why this site was chosen over other possible sites, exactly why this architectural style over other contemporary styles, in all this, no definitive explanation could be hoped for. Because although close observation, close record-keeping, close and scrutinous thinking will help provide ever greater amounts of evidence, no amount is the amount which will decide the question of why to give me absolute knowledge. Why did the construction firm bid this site to build just this building? Why did the construction workers and foremen perform the tasks they performed, and why in just that order? Really, the list here just goes on and on of the things I'd need to understand in order to explain why my building stands and why it stands in just this way. The problem here is of an order entirely different from the problems of how and of when and of locked and unlocked. Essentially, the why problem allows only indirect and indefinite knowledge, while also crucially allowing to only a particular quality of that indirect and indefinite knowledge. Basically, it's like this. With the problem of how I might feasibly arrive at a knowledge definite enough to be considered definite. However, with the problem of why, I can't and I won't. Because that sort of knowledge is just not within reach. The best to be hoped for when it comes to why is a consensus with others as to what might acceptably be considered for the time being the likely or convincing explanation. Really, the thing I may know when I ask why they constructed my building the way they constructed it, 
That thing is only something I will know in relation to what everyone else thinks they know about it. So in support of the why knowledge I hold for true, I will certainly have to advance evidence. But more importantly, I will have to advance arguments across and through that evidence if I'm going to strike a consensus about why I have this building here to live in. And this problem, this problem of why, as well as the knowledge I might attain of it, is the most relevant knowledge for today's interview. Because it's the sort of problem that scientific study faces. Why problems entail all the other three sorts, the sorts that cover direct knowing, the sorts that cover indirectly gathered information and thus indirect knowing. However, the why problem, the problem of what we call research, is really a problem that must ultimately be faced through very many acts of negotiation by the interested parties. Essentially here, a community of interested researchers needs to arrive together at increasingly convincing answers to truly unanswerable questions. This knowledge is not know or not know. This knowledge instead is a thing that improves or disimproves depending on the practice of just how that knowledge is pursued. And that is a topic I will leave to today's guest. Cormac Hurley works on data analysis and security problems. His interests include machine learning and data mining for fraud and abuse, authentication, safety, and data-driven security. So, let's begin today's episode. Right, so in my intro there, I, I kind of arrive at a conclusion that presents scientific knowledge as a consensus building, that there's a lot of negotiation that goes on when it comes to saying what is fact and what is not fact. And to come to your branch of science, uh, computer science, and in particular, the subdomain of security and privacy, this itself is, um, I think many would agree, a relatively new area. Security and privacy itself really hit the ground running, probably most people would agree, in about the 1970s. But in any case, security and privacy would, and I, I would claim in a sense, uh, has a fairly noticeable interdisciplinary component to it. I mean, you've got the formal sciences, you've got an engineering aspect to it for sure. You have experimental sciences working in there. Um, so I guess what I'm driving at is that the work here is at a bit of a crossing in that way. And that what's, that's what makes um, one of many of your contributions, in particular, a, a SOC at S&P Security and Privacy, the, the conference about the science of security, quite an important contribution. I would say that just one example that's brought up in the paper, and I, I, would, I would gladly hear um, other examples or, or how, you, how, would you respond, how you would respond to that about this clash of the formal proofs with inductive reasoning or inductive methods. But uh, maybe you could take away that whole topic there. Sure. And, and Thank you. Thank you for the compliment. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, c computer security has kind of wrestled with this. And you, you accurately point out there's this kind of um, there, it's very multidisciplinary and there has been this large um, uh, disconnect between there's a lot of formal work and very good formal work. There's been a bunch of empirical work and very good empirical work. But when you um, when you look at what drives other sciences forward. If you look at the successes in physics and biology and medicine and, and things like that, it doesn't, um, I mean, it, it seems that the thing that really allows you to make progress is not, 
just good theoretical work on its own or good empirical work on its own. It's the feedback between the two. It's that you've got good theoretical work, which makes new predictions, and then experiment and empirical work goes off and either verifies or refutes those predictions and then refines theory. And, and you have this closed feedback loop of, of uh, theory suggesting new experiments and, and experiments suggesting, suggesting new theory. And I think uh, it, it, it wasn't obvious when we kind of began writing that, 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 that um, uh, survey paper on, on science and security, but that, that, that in retrospect seems to be one of the things that's severely lacking is that you have these formal communities who, who largely are not making use of or, or, or leaning on or informing what goes on in, in the empirical fields and vice versa. The empirical stuff really isn't, um, really isn't generating strong theory. And that, that, that seemed to me to be the, the missing opportunity that 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 sort of uh, you know people struggle with what you know what is science and you know and you can you can spin up you know conversations that go on forever on that question um and for some people it's like you know it's math and it's formula and it's people in white coats and it's doing experiments blah 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 well yes all of those things are kind of part of it but i think the the closed feedback loop between generating theory that suggests new things, you know, suggests a view of the world, not just uh, not, not just things that you've seen already, suggests things, how to explain things that you haven't seen yet. Um, and then experiments that either either says, yes, that theory is right or no, not quite or, or no, it's completely wrong. That's that, that, that's one of the things that that, that we wanted to get to. Yeah, this is a great way of putting it. I think this 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 double feedback loop, this crossover between the theoretical and the empirical sides of it. Uh, I wonder then if it's not possible, and I might be pushing you beyond where you feel comfortable making claims. So please, please say so if it's uh, so. But that this is one of those signs of a of a new science. Uh, uh, the, the interdisciplinary character, uh, which which we've already mentioned, mentioned the fact that you know you've. You've got the strengths of interdisciplinary work, but then you've got the sort of cooperation and communicative burden of interdisciplinary work going on as well. Uh, yeah, and 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 there are many things. There are many uh, you know disciplines where it seems like multidisciplinary tools and skills are needed to make progress. Um, the sort of profession of science doesn't always encourage or incent having that happen right the the um um you will uh, in the interplay between formal people and empirical people in computer security um uh it's it, it's hard uh, you know while many people might agree in principle that closing that feedback loop you know that that double feedback loop um would be very valuable um there doesn't seem to be a rush of participants in either of the, the those particular two subdomains to actually make it happen. You don't see empirical people going to the theory, you know, the um, uh, the formal security approach uh, conferences and, and 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 vice versa. So it's it, um, it it's it, it can be hard to make progress on, on on some of these things purely because of maybe the incentive mechanisms and the professional pressures that. You know, multidisciplinary can often be um, a, a a space that unlocks genuine new opportunity. But if it doesn't fit 
you know, neatly into into someone's existing um, publication and professional trajectory, it can easily kind of fall 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 between the cracks. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the, you've got different uh, cultures really evolving around uh, different people's research. And I would say that, of course, that's going to make it difficult for someone to think, well, I need more of what they're doing. But this this brings us probably right to the crux of what, of what this podcast is all about, how knowledge gets known. And that is the idea that you would have perhaps to communities being able also to reach across and say, hey, look, We've got this finding of value. We've got this theory of value. We see its applications. We need your expertise. Or the best place to really run it in an empirical setting would be what it, you're doing over there. Uh, it, does it seem to be that some of this problem really does come back to you know interdisciplinary cultures rather to, than just technical research side? Uh, yeah, maybe I, I, I'm not sure. I do have a you know a great a great answer on that because there's a lot of you know you know human psychology and 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 professional uh, you know professor um, incentives and stuff like that uh, that that plays there. I mean the 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 languages and the tools and the skill set and the training um, can be very can be very far apart in some of these communities, and in particular, the empirical and the the formal traditions. The empirical tradition in computer security is actually quite recent. The the formal tradition is probably considerably older, um, and the formal tradition has, you know, emphasizes extremely rigorous mathematical tools, extremely rigorous. Um, the empirical work, you know, ranges from usable security stuff, which as a lot of the um, uh, you know the, war, uh, the, the the kind of empirical techniques that are used in, in in social sciences but also there's been a lot of really good um, you know network measurement and it's it's um, uh, but the uh, for example the, a lot of the people who who do that empirical work would look at the tools used in the formal community and the learning curve is extremely great it's 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 not a it's not a an easy in it's not just a it's not just a question of um uh culture it's it's the 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 gap is the gap is real and large let me then turn away from culture i I very much agree with you that 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 is a fuzzy topic (laughs) and hard to get your hands around but in, in the research itself, in research topics uh, that would, let's say, fairly, according to most views, belong inside of security and privacy, which, which of these do really need to be bringing the uh, empirical and the formal together? Where is it that you see in security and privacy, you know, uh, 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 an imminent need that we really start, um, you know, increasing the formality if it's lacking or the other side really seeing its application and running it in experiments if that's lacking. Um, I mean, I, I, I think uh, a lot of the stuff that um, involves the mass of, um, uh, let, let's say, com- consumer oriented security right right now there's i don't know two three maybe four billion people 
using the web, using computers, using, you know, smartphones and that have who have computer security needs of some kind. And one of the things that um, uh, is a little is a little uh, difficult is that a lot of the 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 origins of computer security work and especially the formal stuff and, and, and some of the crypto stuff came from a, a world several decades ago when computers were were not used by ordinary human beings. They were, you know, big, big, big machines locked, you know, in locked buildings with people with secure access and there were there were very high assurance. And and some of the the, the, the formal techniques have have uh, and a lot of the uh, the formal approaches are uh, have sort of come from that world where everything is high assurance. You assume that um, uh, arbitrary levels of effort to protect your resources are appropriate, and those tools m- might in a, indeed be be uh, appropriate in, in in certain settings. But when you transplant them to a, a, a space where three or four billion users are just trying to do their stuff. They're just trying to, you know, protect their social media accounts and their Netflix accounts and stuff like that. Well, you know, saying that you have to, you know, go through this elaborate seven step process before you log into a website. Well, you're just not going to do it if it's just a social media thing and you're just trying to post, you know, pictures and stuff like that. So I think that there's th- there's much and, and a lot of the, the sometimes a, a bit of the approach of the more the more formal and the high assurance um, security approaches to um, uh, the the uncertainties and uh, that, that are introduced by this large population um, has been to kind of regard it as an inconvenience. Um, I, I think we need a lot more measurement on protecting the consumer web on, you know, well, you might have a mental model, like a good example is, is, is another um, uh, area that I spent a bunch of time on, on passwords. A, a lot of the formal approaches to those were, well, you know, users must choose random passwords and we observe that they don't. And then you, you come up with these um a lot of the origin of those much hated rules around choosing passwords that must be, you know, uh, 10 characters and contain, you know, upper, lower and special characters and digits and stuff like that. The origin of a lot of that is is formal approaches saying um, we have to force, we have to force this user population to match our model of what is necessary to protect uh, high assurance assets. And, um, and there wasn't... And there wasn't a lot of empirical verification that the tools and the techniques that you use to try to force your desired outcome actually achieved your desired outcome. And that's where um, the last few years, the last say decade or decade and a half, there's been enormous progress in measuring that, well, you know, you might want, you know, a billion users to do one thing. You might try to force them to do that thing. <laughs> but you need to also measure that, uh, you know, they, they do that thing. And if not, how you can make it easier or or whether it's really necessary. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. The idea of uh, that the formal side inside of com- uh, consumer-oriented security 
needs to really be working inside of the consumer oriented part of that. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. What, what, what that brings to mind also is uh, machine learning, which is another area that um, you are, are interested in and have done um, important work in. And I think there's also probably an interesting set of formal and experimental sides to that as well, because of the fact that, you know, machine learning is capable of doing just massively impressive things. And yet, you know, the scientists themselves can't really say why they're <laughs> why the machine learning is doing it that way or how it's doing it even. Um, I mean, this is for an outsider, something that is just fascinating because of the basic setup that, well, we built the machine, <laughs> let's say, and there it goes. It's doing something we don't even understand. Um, is, is, is that a similar area where you'd see the need for theory and, and experiment um, combining in a unique fashion? Uh, yes, I, I, I mean absolutely. I, I think I think there um, uh, w- when things are very small scale, you can s- sort of you know try to study something in a phenomenon so that you understand it in and uh, ha- so you understand how it will behave, what the outputs will be, given any possible uh, any possible input. But when we get to to things that are really really complex like the 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 large language models you know gpt and things like that which are you know all all, all are are making the news the 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 last few weeks um but when something either gets very very complicated so no one single human being can kind of comprehend what's going on or where the range of inputs is basically you know anything that's out there in the world i mean it's it's um uh, we need I, I i i'm not sure we see alternatives to empirical approaches to figuring out what's going on we, we you know you have to well we could sit down with a blank sheet of paper and try to ask ourselves what will um what will this extremely complicated machine um learning model do under uh, under this particular input or that particular input and try to and try to come up with some characterization of it but um uh but another approach is to do much of the you know to borrow techniques that they use for example in biology and medicine and you you just you study the thing sort of as as a black box phenomenon you just you you just throw lots of inputs at it you see how it how it how it actually does and there's a lot of good work to be done there, I think, a lot of good work. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up biology because uh, one other sort of high-level topic that I certainly wanted to uh, broach with you was you know, scientific practice in security and privacy. And um, my listeners will know I work now with computer scientists helping them um, communication in communication. And um, I have some experience also with biologists, and I, I, I notice that there is different practice going on um, there. For instance, the approach to reproducibility um, for biologists, it's generally a matter of, in the methods section, justifying your choices. And it's not that you expect someone's going to actually rerun your experiment. Whereas I'm noticing now in computer science departments, well, since it's really a matter of code, the experiments are often indeed recapitulated exactly <laughs> and uh, that that to me was uh, quite interesting because that makes for a different setup in how you uh, you know go about a particular study i would say uh yeah yes no, no I, I, absolutely and there is some and there is some culture um uh in 
in in the usable security, which is a heavily empirical field within within computer security of um, releasing data sets and you know allowing other people to scrutinize. You know, hey, here's what we concluded from the data, and here's why. But here's the data in case you know you want to disagree or find errors in what we did, which is which is great. Um, the, there is there is also, however, um, uh, a large body of of work emerging, and, and and some of the stuff, particularly say on on the consumer um, website, some of the data sets um, are so enormous that the analysis always goes to the data and 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 not the other way around, um, and often with these you know large data sets it's not it's not really a static uh set of data it's a stream of stuff if you tick you know the 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 stream of um uh what's going on suppose for example you're 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 studying something like misinformation on social media networks well um a, a snapshot of a particular of a particular event on, on one social media network is, is 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 certainly interesting, but more interesting is kind of trying to develop algorithms that will that will generalize not just across this particular misinformation event, but you know o- over others, and, and and that's primarily what say the practitioners who have to deploy systems that will will reduce uh, you know these harms ha- have to worry about. But then you're always working on a stream and uh, and. It is a, you know, it logistically, it would be extremely difficult to to open that up to um, uh, to other people. But b, you know, those those streams are largely proprietary and live live in. Uh, it, it's a little unfortunate that that um, that a lot of the a, a lot of the 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 data sets where there's a lot of interest in figuring out what's going on are. Are, are locked in uh, fairly, you know, silos with fairly thick walls where there's extremely limited ability for, uh, and, and, and some research groups at some of these these um, uh, social media companies and other places, you know, do publish some of their work, but but there's essentially, but very often there's no real way to get access to any of the data, even in very aggregated form. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, what you say there though uh, puts puts me in mind um, of you know if you've got this moving target of streaming data and you're analyzing misinformation across social media, as you say. I mean, it puts me in mind again back to this question that we kind of tried to avoid of, of cultures and human psychology of actually situating the itself a little bit at the center of what's also going on in security and privacy. I mean, just the just the name of the subdomain, security and privacy, it's the privacy of people and security for people. I mean, what are the sort of major constructs that's at work so often in the research is the adversary. And of course, the adversary is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, a person, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I mean, uh, or, or, or an organization or, um, yes. 
So, so this puts us in the difficult position of trying to figure out what people are going to do, doesn't it? I mean, uh, this this might also under, uh, explain um, a very typical feature of the research field, which involves so-called attack papers. And if listeners aren't aware, then this is merely just the idea that, you know, the researchers themselves dev- find the weakness and devise a way to get in into the system or break something, essentially, and thereby prove, yeah, that uh, work needs to be done. Right. Um, yeah. It, it, the 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 adversarial nature. I mean. Th- yeah. This is definitely one of the things that makes um, empirical um, a, a challenge. That that empirical work and empirical approaches to demonstrating that something that that, that you can protect something is it. Is a difficulty that they don't possess in in biological mechanisms, for example, where when you study when you study a system in biology and you study, uh, you let's say you studied it in 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 last year. Well, you can kind of assume that the behavior of the system last year is representative of what it's going to continue to do going forward. Um, in security, you know, the 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 statistics and the properties of of the attack behavior, what your attacker is doing, um, uh, and it doesn't just have to be a single, you know, uh, a, a single guy in a hoodie, you know, um, uh, typing away at a keyboard. If you look at say something like uh, that, we would investigate statistically like spam. Well, you know, spam ten years ago. Um, uh, I mean, spam evolves a lot over time. At some points, they were all pushing thick Rolexes, and then it was, you know, the the Canadian pharmacy, you know, uh, prescription pills without a prescription kind of stuff. And it it, it seems to vary, which is just um, uh, perhaps a long-winded way of saying that the 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 phenomenon is not static. So you study it at one period of time, and that's not necessarily representative of what you know you're going to see at a later period of time. And this you know represents a very significant challenge because suppose, for example, you know you do you're studying misinformation and you study a particular misinformation campaign where some organization is pushing a point of view that is, and you study the techniques that they're using and the um, what they did to um, um uh pu- pu- push forward their th- th- their objectives the um expectation that that generalizes to future campaigns and future instances is is not necessarily rock solid right they can they can't and that represents a very 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 significant challenge uh, for for empirical work in this space yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, coming back to the SOK, the systemization of knowledge, which is basically a, a, a sort of literature review for people who aren't inside of uh, computer science. Um, this is that science, security, and the elusive goal of security as a scientific pursuit. I'd like to switch gears and t- talk a bit more about the communication side. And it's, it's, it's an interesting fact that this paper was handed to me as an example of good writing in computer science. And, <laughs> and I wholeheartedly agree because I've spent quite a lot of time now reading papers in, in computer science and it stands out in that respect. Could you 
perhaps give us um, your <laughs> flattery, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> I, I, and I am laying it on thick, uh, but but I really mean it. I mean, it was also one of those papers. Of course, the subject matter is very heavily into the area of um, philosophy and humanities type subjects. So that might explain why it was also very easy for me to read. But nonetheless, I think very many people would agree that it makes its point clearly and at times even elegantly. But let's focus on the, 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 the clear bit. Um, could you perhaps uh, give us a, your view of, of, of writing a paper like that? What, what is it that you know, was showing you that you were achieving the aim that you had to get your purpose and your material across? Um, I, I, I mean, I guess maybe I, I would, I would, um, uh, riff off of the, 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 the word you just used, which was kind of, you know, clearer clarity because cl- clarity has kind of been, I mean, often the, the act of writing a paper, especially one like this, which is kind of a bit more of a review and kind of covers, you know, tries to pull together a lot of things and cover a lot of ground. Often my goal in, in, in writing some of that is 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 getting to personal clarity on what's going on because you know it, it wasn't the case that we started that this paper with perfect clarity in our heads on on, on everything the act of writing the act of um, uh, wanting to you know we had a sense that there's some things wrong in security there are some missed opportunities there are some things where security is doing things noticeably different from um, from other domains and other disciplines, and and there also seems to be some uh, sense of uh, I don't know disappointment or frustration in the community and with the the the, the funding agencies, the fund the community that hey you know should we be making more progress here? Could we be doing a better job? But it's one thing to have that kind of that you know those kind of understandings that I just articulated, and another to 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 really get them in a very crystal clear form. And and a lot of the a lot of the the the, the effort in that paper was, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I can't remember. I guess a number of people have 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 made this observation uh, over the decades and the, and the centuries. But you know, if you can't write something down in an extremely clear basic language then uh, a, a, a really good uh, a really good explanation for what going on going, is going on is that it's not really clear yourself if you if you have if the ideas are absolutely clear in your head you should be able to write them down in clear and simple language and we had when we started we weren't able to do that and this whole paper what was the, was the act of getting getting to that clarity and and the I mean, I'm gratified to hear that it's 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 readable and clear for other people. But um, that was sort of a, a an outcome of forcing ourselves to 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 make it clear uh, to, to get to clarity ourselves and to not settle every once in a while, particularly on a topic like this, where you know there's history, there's philosophy, it references you know a bunch of different sciences, a lot of the stuff in in security and its subdomains, but also physics and biology. So there's a lot of ground, and it can be uh, it can be very tempting to find yourself uh, relying on weasel words and ambiguous language to get around little little things that you can't quite explain and you hope the reader doesn't notice. And I think we both sort of um, 
uh, uh, my co-author was uh, Paul von Orschad. Um, we both sort of didn't want to satisfy ourselves with that. We wanted to sort of drive out, you know, all of uh, as as much ambiguity and um, and weasel word and hand waving stuff as we could. Yes, weasel word. That's a, that's a wonderful way of putting it. But I mean, weasel words are often even technical terms. That's like something that I've noticed that people, uh, I mean, a technical term uh, jargon in a more derogatory sense, but I mean, technical terms are there in the science for good reason. They fill the lexicon and they're what we're researching about, right? We need we need a word for these things. And that's, that's one thing. I mean, from a linguist perspective, I can tell you one thing that science has done to the English language is enrich its vocabulary. I mean, the, the vocabulary really is just bursting because of science. Um, but the, the point is, is that uh, you draw a beautiful line, which I've heard drawn also in very different contexts between the thinking and the writing. So through the process of writing it out, that the thinking becomes more and more apparent and you use the tool of writing to make sense of what it is that you found there and, and the process iterates and iterates from there. So if that's the case, yeah, if it's possible for the language to be useful, it's also possible for useful things in the language to become unuseful. So back to the terminologies, right? Yep, if, you've packed, absolutely, absolutely. if you've packed up into, I mean, a weasel word is, of course, trying to just get your way out of something. But I mean, if you've packed up a lot of things into certain terms and you're just rehashing them, it, it, it pays once in a while to unpack what is it actually there that I've got. Yeah, no, and and... I, I, th- this was uh, something that surfaced that surfaced uh, a, a, a lot, and we tried to we tried to draw attention to in in that paper. But I think it surfaces in a bunch of other places in um, in computer sciences. You will see people arguing about um, something, arguing about a system, and they say, "Is it secure? or Is it not secure?" And you have people. Um, having very animated arguments on both sides of this question when it's not clear that they both mean the same thing by the word secure. And this seems like a, a, a classic example of, well, you know, if, <laughs> if we're talking about different things and I'm saying yay and you're saying nay, well, <laughs> the, ar- the, ar- the argument has no halting criterion. We could, we could argue for decades or, or, as, or until we both you know, get bored and go away. And, and I, I, I think that, that, that um, th- this is one place where um uh people with an engineering and a a uh, you know mathematical and a stem type training are actually more vulnerable to f- uh, failing to take on board the, uh, the 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 confusion that can be caused by ambiguous ambiguous language this is something that i think you know people who you know take even one or two semesters of philosophy understand well right that if we're if we're arguing about some abstract noun and we don't both have the same understanding of what that abstract noun means well the argument can go on and be fairly fruitless for a long period of time i mean another example that i think is kind of raging right now is with the success of you know uh, gpt4 and um you know, these large language model uh, things, people are arguing, you know, is it intelligent? Does it have understanding? Is it, uh, you know, is it thinking? And 
Well, and some people are saying, yes, yes, we think it is. And others are saying, no, no. And, but they don't, it's not clear that there's a common understanding of what thinking means or what understanding means. So the debate seems to be one of those, those things that could go on for, you know, that it seems one of those pointless, those pointless kind of uh, no halting criterion questions. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you bring up a really um, key interest of this uh, podcast and uh, what you say there. I mean, the STEM sciences are not inherently language sciences. And this is probably one of the reasons why on the communication end of STEM, there are very many challenges which everyone is noticing. And, you know, a lot of people are trying to do something about, but it's it's just not, let's say, well, it's not ideal, is it, at the moment? <laughs> the way the papers <laughs> come out, the way the understanding uh, occurs or doesn't occur, and 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 so on. And and I suppose what I would like to ask there, because this is something that I explore with practically every guest I have on the show, especially people who are in the research themselves, like you. What is it that would be um, on the education level, on the publishing level, in the research lab level, the research group level? What would be some of the interventions that you would say would not only be effective, but really be taken up? Because, I mean, just to perhaps send off one last idea before I give give the stage back to you is, you know, from the linguist's perspective, from the, um, let's say, the EAP, English for Academic Purposes perspective, these kinds of people, which is my background, come up with all these ideas and classes and courses and materials and so on. But if you spend time with scientists, you realize that they're rushed, they have little patience for their non-science work, and it's really not a practicable solution to say, let's take a course, even, in very many cases. Uh, yes, uh, yes, yes, and yes. Um, I, I, I would say, um, I, 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 if if I had an answer to to the the, the problem you were posing, I, I would give it to you. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not holding back, but I'm going to be uh, unable to 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 solve the problem. I think. In addition, I think, um, I th- I think that some of the very tech um, heavy disciplines and it's happening now in machine learning I think and people are starting to talk about this question can machines think and stuff like that it reminds me quite a bit of some of the uh, some of the stuff that happens when physics goes a little bit off the rails right and people start talking about the god particle and the theory of everything and they, they have these kind of extravagant metaphors and language that seems very far removed from the you know from the newton's laws and einstein you know and and um uh the calculation side of things and i think um the, the there's a danger when you come from a super successful um technical area like 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 physics and mathematics and machine learning that has delivered you know has accomplished amazingly you know great things people and and then it starts to uh, impinge on these questions like can machines think where there's a philosophical and a language component in addition to not having the kind of the training and the vocabulary and the recognition of the danger that lies in ambiguous use of language. Um, in addition, I mean, let me choose my words carefully here, but I would say there's also a little bit of a lack of humility in, you know, 
in, in, in some of the STEM communities toward uh, non-STEM work, right? That, that people will happily start talking about the God particle and a theory of everything <laughs> without... Um, and the last thing that will occur to them, and even if it does occur to them, they won't act on it, is looking have uh you know do do non-stem disciplines have anything to, to to offer here people will happily start pondering the question um you know is is gpt um is gpt4 thinking is it exhibiting understanding and they will happily ignore you know anything that non-machine learning communities have 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 thought about these questions or or or, or any of the the, uh, the 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 difficulties and dangers of kind of you know starting down that, that uh, on a question like that without some appreciation of the dangers and ambiguities in kind of uh, in, in language yes uh, indeed I, I, I see I see your point there on the larger level if 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 I might uh, to just close up here on a super micro level down into the sentences of papers and so on if somebody came from you know, humanities background from language background outside of, of, of stem and you know made the claim hey your important research here you're actually making it harder than it needs to be and if they had an answer as to how that might get easier, I'm thinking of things like, you know, shorter papers, clearer yeah. writing, yeah. Um, straightforward statements, um, yeah. you know, yeah. clear yeah. logical organization and so on. If somebody came with a, a fairly, you know, swift m method for applying such a such an approach, uh, what would you say? Yeah, I, I'm I'm all in favor. I mean, a, a big disappointment to me in in say the academic uh, security community is yeah, the the may the most prestigious conferences are all um, you know twelve pages and up for the paper. So uh, there are some ideas where hey, I can write this, I can write this in two pages i can string it out to three <laughs> there's no point in going any further I'm, I'm a big fan of the kind of um uh you know explain things in simple language a bunch of people have said it george orwell of all people has a very good you know um list of i i can't remember everything on the list but never use a a big word where a small one would do you know if if you can strike something out if you can simplify a sentence by rearranging the clauses do it it's it's um uh, any barrier anything that gets in the way of um uh someone understanding with the with the smallest possible amount of effort because people are rushed people don't have time a lot of people don't share the same language as you anything that puts a barrier because of you know you, you, you didn't spend five years training in this particular subfield that I did, so you don't know the language and the, 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 the gatekeeping words that keep you out, even though the concepts might be quite simple. Anything like that, anything more language more complicated than needs to be, I'm all in favor of pruning that out. I mean, make everything as accessible across you know, technical communities, but also to, to lay people who are willing to, who are willing to put in you know, a, a little bit of effort. 
a closing question, uh, Cormac, that I, I would like to give you, and it involves writing again, right on topic with what we're here, uh, just extending it in a slightly different direction. I mean, when you look across a project, we've spent a lot of time in, in this interview talking about your uh, sock paper, your literature review there, which is, um, of course, perhaps a slightly unusual form. I mean, the daily bread of, of the researchers, of course, the, the normal conference paper or the research article, depending on the field. When you look at one of those projects, you know, from start to finish, of course, there's going to be plenty of proofs. There's going to be plenty of experiments being run, code and so on. But where do you position the reading and the writing? I mean, if you look, if you could just imagine looking, you know, from end to end across a project and you had to situate the reading and the writing in some sort of proportional fashion to what that project meant. Is, is there any way that you could describe the way it looks then to you? Um, I, 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 I'm not sure I have a, a, um, a kind of a prescription or a process, which, you know, may, maybe means that I'm a little inefficient in, 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 in how I do things and how I execute, you know, projects. But I, I think for very many projects, I, I sort of all through, I have this, you know, kind of imaginary dialogue going on with you know my imagined audience or or a, or a, a representative of my imagined audience where i'm trying to convince and I'm, and and the point of the dialogue is really for me to well what am i trying to convince them of if i can't tell myself first what i'm trying to convince them of then success <laughs> success is going to be a little um uh, uh, unlikely or capricious so i i try to have that sort of you know telling myself, you know, you're not going to be able to make it clear for someone else until you are yourself, you know, amazingly clear on what it is you're trying to communicate and amazingly certain about what you're trying to communicate, right? You know, you can't be, um, uh, you can't clearly communicate something where you're not a, yourself fairly certain um, of your facts on the matter. So I think it's, it's, um, that sort of imaginary dialogue for me is even if I don't start writing until um, uh, until a lot of the, the the technical work has been done, the imaginary dialogue is is kind of a part of the shape of the paper, right? It, it sort of is okay. I think the following is the case, and I spend a bunch of time, or we spend a bunch of time gathering all of our evidence, um, but then. Uh, then the paper is really, okay, I, I want to convince my audience that this thing is the case, and here's how I structured, here's why you might not think it's the case, here's why you might object to the particular experiments we've done. You have that sort of, um, uh, that imaginary dialogue that I've been running all the time is kind of, you know, the, my outline, my outline in, in, in my, my draft outline. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, I have to follow up with one comment there because it's really interesting what you say there about um, the moment at which this uh, dialogue becomes so intensive that it, that it demands recording in, in the actual writing, let's say. But you're suggesting that it's actually going on in some form or other anyway while you're running the experiments, while you're doing whatever uh, other technical aspects to the uh, project that need to be done as well. So, I mean, it's... It's integral, isn't it? This, this, this yeah, thinking. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And you know, the and the experiments, right? I mean, experiments are always sort of 
um, I think, you know, the, the, there's a quote, which I think we used from Darwin. Well, you know, experiments are, you're always doing an experiment to argue for or against, you know, some particular point of view. You're trying to rule out, you know, one explanation or, or, uh, or draw attention to something that, uh, that, that, that has been ignored. That, the, the structure of which experiments we do and why we did them and the order in which we did them is is itself part of that 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 dialogue of hey we're trying to investigate we think that the following thing is the case and here's the journey here's the dialogue and okay often when you get close to the end you realize that well I don't need to take the reader on this long winding road. There were some dead ends that we explored that 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 where you don't have to you don't have to drag the reader through all of that. But a lot of the work is is it's um it's 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 part of the dialogue, right? It's 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 uh here's why we did we were trying to create a convincing case that, you know, X is the case. The experiments are 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 are, are that trajectory. The, that internal dialogue is describing that trajectory, and the paper is mapping that in the simplest language I can to get someone there with the least jargon, the least um, uh, you know the least expectation of of, of effort on their part, and uh, and the simplest language. Yeah, and, and and I mean this this raises the the question of yeah what goes in and what goes out as well as you're saying I mean there were dead ends there were uh, exploratory there was exploratory work and so on I think it's also an interesting point as far as write, writing process is concerned it's certainly certainly something that I get often asked is what is the sort of writing to be doing before results are in you know before you know what it is that the dialogue is really about let's say. Um, I often advise people there to, you know, if you're ex- doing exploratory research, then do some exploratory writing about it as well. But um, I mean, people have very different feelings about this matter. I mean, I think a good place. I mean, a, a good uh, a good place to start is um, uh, we started investigating the following question. Like, well, why did you find that question interesting, and why why is the answer not glaringly obvious, and why is it important? Right, those are all things that are are sort of a, a, at the beginning. They're the origin story of this 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 research that you're doing. But they're capturing that. Hey, uh, here's here's why we think. Here's why we're puzzled about whether X is true or X is not true. Here's why we think it's interesting. Um, that that's capturing the 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 spark at the at the start of the project. Um, you know, there was a reason that you there was a reason that you embarked on this journey. Um, I, I, for me, I often I I, I try to make it. I, I don't want. The answer to that question, why did you embark on that journey? Well, because I wanted to write a paper. No, that's that's not a good answer. It's like because there's a pro- because there's, here's something that looked like a paradox to me. Here's something where it looked like this observation contradicted that theory. Is it really a contradiction, or or and if so, how could we? The, 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 there's a problem that I'm trying to solve, not just a paper that I'm trying to write and describe why you found that problem interesting. I think, you know, that's, that, that, that gets you off to a great start. 
And would you say that this is also something that you practice to, I mean, talk about dialogue, which I find is a fascinating metaphor. I mean, it's actually not even a metaphor. I, I, I can hear you already, Cormac. <laughs> no, no, I really, I really have this imaginary voice in my head. <laughs> but, uh, but, but do you find yourself then utilizing a sort of note taking or jotting or, or journal keeping that, 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 that keeps the project alive, you know? Sort of wit and puts puts a bit of oxygen into the spark. Gets gets you know sets the course right and so on. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do. I keep I, I keep a, a a physical notebook where I handwrite stuff in. I also you know send emails uh, to to myself on kind of notes on things. I mean, I do find yeah, keeping a keeping a notebook, um, uh, you know, it, 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 it's definitely um, you know helps uh, remembering things. It's also good where you go back and like oh something that seems glaringly obvious to me today when you go back and look what i was writing in my notebook about this three months ago it wasn't glaringly obvious so that that can be a useful exercise that oh something that seems too obvious to even bother explaining to the reader is well it wasn't obvious to me three months ago so so so, so maybe it is and it's also I, I do find the notebook is you know purely on a on a you know keep you going thing it's like you know if if you put a page or two in the notebook uh, uh, you feel you got something done with the day even if you know uh, even if what you just wrote is superseded by you know the the, the work you do a, w a week or two from now it gives you some you know sense of moving forward yeah, for sure. I mean, text is being produced, right? <laughs> I suppose, though, uh, what is it that tells you, okay, so I'm thinking about this hard problem, I'm motivated to figure out the answer, I understand why it's a problem, and it's not just a paper I want to write. What is, though, the moment there, though, that you realize, aha, this is paper material now. So let's say the gears shift, and you're, you might not be at the writing stage. Of course, when you're at the writing stage of really producing the PDFs and stuff like that, that you already know you have a paper a long time ago. But I, I'm talking about that switch moment when you ramp up the design of your studies. You know, you really start digging into the literature to see if there's something on that before you, you know what I mean? The, the entire process gets going. What, what is the, is there a way to put your finger on that? Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I haven't really. Um, for for me, yeah, maybe maybe that's uh, w one of the points where it becomes a, a little bit more work and a little less fun because there is some point where yeah, you, you you've gotten to, you know, clarity on the question that you want, and 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 I do, you know, I often you know write things, um, you know. I, as as a draft just so um it's easy to keep the fuzzy thoughts in your head and think you have it clear and i could write it down clearly if i if i if i needed to and then when you actually try to write it down it's not as clear as you thought so i often do that even when i'm not aiming at a particular publication yet but when you start thinking oh okay let's aim for this conference you know and the deadline is um i is june or whatever then some of it becomes a little more of a grind where you have to sort of um, uh, think what reviewers are going to want. What's the, you know, what's um, what's the easiest criterion to reject this paper that um, uh, that a reviewer is going to. You, you, you have to that that act of um, writing defensively 
and um, like uh, th 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 that's where it gets a little bit, you know, it's 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 a little it's a little less fun. I, um, that's that's uh, a great way of putting it, and also this defensive writing, I like that. This is something that I've actually broached with one other researcher before. I mean, what is your posture as an author? You know, is it? Because, you know, so many uh, principal researchers, principal investigators are also reviewers, so they can don that cap quite well. And they're like, okay, so if I'm actually writing for one of me, <laughs> you know, what's, what's yeah. the best way to couch this into the best terms so that it gets through? And I wonder if, I, I, I mean, I was playing sort of devil's advocate, say, well, what if you cooperated instead? What would that look like? You know, I mean, how do you get it so that the writing is telling the other person, you know, you're contributing to this as well, right? I'm implying this, understand that, and yep. we'll synthesize it later. Uh, yeah, and, and I think uh, uh, some, um, some journals and some um, uh, conferences are trying to, Get a bit more interaction between reviewers and authors, and you know, make it uh, um, a, a, a little more interactive and allow feedback from reviewers to not just be rejected, you know, go somewhere else, try again, but you know, well, you know, here's here's how you would downsize your claims or upsize your experiments to 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 to, to convince us and 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 get in, but. Uh, and that's that that that's encouraging, but I think it's it's a little bit nascent yet. I don't think we're quite there. Well, thank you very much for that, Cormac. That is Cormac Hurley, principal researcher at Microsoft Research. I'm Daniel Shea, and this is goodbye from me to Cormac. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you so much. And this is goodbye to all of you. Bye bye, and until next time here on Scholarly Communication.